you can't get enough of WNUR Sports on the air, the Sports Voice After Dark podcast has you covered. Pour another one out for the yeah. fact that Alexei Ramirez was worth negative two wins <laughs> by simply being himself. With some questionable takes. Anquan Bolden sneaky pick for uh, offensive MVP this year. And some that are borderline prophetic. He, it could light a fire under. I could like I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers went six and two and went ten and six to win this division. Subscribe to WNUR Sports on iTunes or SoundCloud to have the best hour of sports podcasting delivered to you every week. Sports Voice After Dark. Are you active on social media? Find WNUR Sports on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at WNUR Sports to keep up to date on everything Northwestern. And you can check out our website at WNURSports.com where you can listen to live broadcasts and gain access to coverage and commentary on Chicago's Big Ten team. Click schedule on the menu bar for a complete calendar of upcoming broadcasts. Live from the lakeside studios of WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, this is your source for Northwestern Wildcat Athletics. Taphorn's got the ball, 1.7 seconds left in a tie ball game. Baseball pass all the way to the other end. Harden catches, he has a chance, left-handed hook, got it! Going deep, man wide open, caught at the five, end zone, touchdown, Sullivan Falls! Tosh for three, no good, Law is there! Now, here's the Sports Voice. Welcome to the Sports Voice up here in Evanston. I'm your host, Eric Frazier, alongside with my other host. Drew Myers on the call. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Big weekend in college football. It was supposed to be a sleeper. It was supposed to be a sleeper, but it was very interesting. College football weekend was this was very, very interesting. So we got we got a good show for you in touch. We uh we got NU we're going to talk a lot about NU football, their victory over Minnesota as they cruise along towards the end of the season getting prepared for the Big 10 championship game. Their spots can their spots is clinched, but we're waiting for the East. We'll see how that plays out. We're going to talk more about that later. We're going to we're going to recap the game, give our thoughts about that and preview next week's matchup against the in-state rivals Illinois Fighting Illini. Then later on, we're going to talk about the rest of the college football season. Big big thing, Ohio State, Michigan, those two teams are battling for the other spot for the Big Ten Championship game. We're going to we're going to go over their games and then preview their game as long. Also, Notre Dame crushing Syracuse. We're going to go into that and basically we touched on all the four teams and also preview the Iron Bowl. Then we're going to go into pick them. But without further ado, we got it all started off. Northwestern beats up on Minnesota. Struggled out the gate a little bit. Seven 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 in the beginning, but Northwestern pulled away for the twenty four to fourteen victory. Clayton Thorson, 15 to 21, 230 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Isaiah Bauer, Isaiah Bowser led the team in rushing, 29 carries, 85 yards, two touchdowns. So, Drew, Dick Thorson, how do you think Thorson looked? Do you think he looked better? Do you think he looked worse? 22 degrees outside. Do you think that had a lot of effect with it? 
Um, I think the weather maybe probably had a little bit of an effect. But um, as I was saying, uh, talking about earlier this week on the Moving the Chains podcast, um, I thought Clayton Thorson had an okay game, you know, 15 for 21. Obviously, great to see no picks. Um, earlier in the season, you saw in the Wisconsin game, he threw three interceptions. So that is a great stat line if you're a Northwestern fan. Looking at Clayton Thorson throwing no interceptions, really great there. But the offense, to me, just overall seemed to be kind of stagnant. Again, it was a slow performance coming out of the gate. Um, you know, you have seven points. You have a touchdown in the first in the first quarter. You had another touchdown, mixed extra points. So you got 13 points in the first half, and you end with 24. So much better outing um, this week than last week. However, it just seemed like the offense was moving very slowly. Again, you see I, I, uh, Isaiah Bowser, we'll talk about later. You know, he's having another 20-yard carry day. He, You know, the run game is the key to the Northwestern offense right now. So Thorson, I feel like a lot of the offense is kind of been piggy, piggybacking on Isaiah Bowser's run game right now. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you that he did perform better. I'm still going on a lot of people about the whole Akron debacle with basically Clayton Thorson costing Northwestern that game with giving up 21 points, two picks, pick sixes, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Great job by him not giving up the big plays, not giving up any turnovers in this game, and also scoring a rushing touchdown, getting in zones. Like he tried to – he, he did move the ball around a little bit, and it did get the wide receivers. They just couldn't get in for the wide receiving catching touchdowns, but they were able to punch it in from short distance with Isaiah Bowser. So, basically, they're, they're looking good so far. So, I mean, I've been saying all year long, pump the break on this team. I'm really not convinced. So far, 7-1 at conference play, got all their victories through the conference. So, they're looking good heading into the final week, and they need to perform well against Illinois. We're going to get into that. So speaking of the rushing, uh, Isaiah Bowser led the team rushing 85 yards, longest carry 15 yards, and he had two short-distance touchdowns. And after that, Berkeley Holman with 10 yards, Chad Hanakoa with 9 yards, Solomon Vault had 1 yard on 5 carries, and Clayton Thorson negative 10 yards, but he's a quarterback, so we're not going to really penalize him, and he got a rushing touchdown. So, is there any cause for an alarm? Because out of all those carries, he averaged less than 3 yards per carry. I, I would say hold the brakes on the concern, because this is Isaiah Bowser's, this is his run style. It's go right at the teeth of the defense and try to get you know short yardage play. And I think the real goal of that right now, you know, you run the ball on first down, you're giving yourself a second and seven, a second and five, you're getting yourself a few yards. That way, you know, you're not sitting, you know, on a passing play, you pass on first down and you're sitting and you have a second and 10. Um, that way, I think that, you know, they can move up a little bit more. So I wouldn't be so concerned that there's a lack of, you know, serious running plays. But um, what's been good so far has been the fact that uh, SA Bowser's been sort of been able to. Um, push the ball, and really just, you know, uh, go right through the teeth of the defense, as I was saying earlier. Uh, I am going to go – yeah, I, I'm a, I'm not going to say anything to panic because by running back committee, Isaiah Bowser really stepped up, especially in that Rutgers game. So I think that he, they're good with the running situation they have found. I think with him being a freshman, he has four years to develop, and I think that Isaiah Bowser has time to develop with four years – four years behind and I think he's the next coming of Jeremy Larkin. Jeremy Larkin was definitely the workhorse of this team and definitely getting all the carries and that's 
definitely established the offense, but I think I, they think they after trial by fire, trial by committee, they got Isaiah Bowser. So it's not really a, a cars an alarm. I think it had more to do with the weather. Like it was 22 degrees, and and, and and insanely, this team warms up. Normally they warm up in full sweatsuit and pads and everything else. No, not Northwestern. Northwestern must have mistakenly felt like it was 60 degrees higher than what it was out there because the temperature, air temperature in Minnesota was 22 degrees, but they came out there like it was 82 degrees with nothing but shorts on and trying to warm up and say, hey, this ain't cold. But I, I, I've lived in Minnesota, and it's definitely cold. Uh, you mentioned his name just earlier. Um, I, you were talking, mentioned his name a little bit earlier, Chad Hanaoka. Um, he's really just an incredible story. I know, you know he's not getting a lot of carries every game, but I wanted to – Wanted to plug that really quickly. Um, he's he's going to share this mic with Pat. So come over here. All right. So basically, he, he, we're, still, we're still talking about Bowser. I mean, he's pretty good. I mean, we got we got some technical, but that's all right. It's, it's radio. We we good. We good up in sports voice right yeah, now. So we we, we, we see the Northwestern running has done trial by committee. We're doing microphone by committee right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're all good. So we we got this taken care of. So basically, we we didn't touch on the offense, but the big factor in this win was the defense. Like we got to go to the other side of the ball because yeah, Thorson and Bowser put points on the board. But the defense, three turnovers, two picks, and an interception, and four sacks. Let's talk about my man. What's my man's name? Nate Hall, two picks, and then basically Gaziano with the with the fumble recovery. What do you think about that defense? Do you think they played angry, or do you just think that they were just like, okay, we're tired of this disrespect. We're trying to we're trying to get prepared for a rematch with either Michigan or a matchup against Ohio State in the championship game, and we got we to gotta do it right. What do you think? I think this defense is looking really strong, and you got a few a few players that are really you know making the difference for Northwestern right now. You look at Patty Fisher, who had 11 total tackles, five solo, one sack. You look at Blake Gallagher with three solo tackles. Again, you look at Nate Hall, who had those two interceptions. Joe Gaziano, who's forced a few fumbles so far this season, also had a sack on the day. And then you also look at uh, J.R. Pace, and you look at Travis Willock, who had 15 tackles, 11 solo tackles um, in last week's game, uh, this week's game against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So I would say, you, if again, if you're a Northwestern fan looking at this defense, they've been really strong, only allowed 14 points versus Minnesota, and they only allowed 10 points against Iowa coming off of, you know, giving up 31 points to Notre Dame. So they've really turned it around these past two weeks against both Iowa and Minnesota, and I'm expecting a similar performance against a low-performing Illinois team that is now sitting 2-6 and six in conference play in the Big Ten West. Man, I'm going to have to give it to you, the defense. I mean, they stepped up pretty well as well. I mean, they are showing their might. Notre Dame is a good team. They've proven it this year. They're undefeated. They're focused on the playoff, and they have the best chance. We're going to get that, and we're going to talk more about them, but it's just I had to bring that up to talk about just Northwestern's defense towards them. It's like, they, yeah, they gave up 31 points, but they were in a fight with Notre Dame, and they almost took the lead against Notre Dame. So the offense did step up as well. Defense had, had their best against the team. But, yeah, with giving up 14 points for Minnesota, 10 points to Iowa, and then – the big game was Wisconsin. That was definitely the eye opener because Wisconsin was basically on a collision course to take over to take over the West and win this win this 
part of the, the conference, win this division, and then Northwestern defense stepped up, handled their business, and they really helped tell, tooth and nail with Rutgers. So pretty much I think that the defense can show up against Illinois. I think that Minnesota's a better team than them. Even though Illinois did beat Minnesota, I, I think that the defense as well. So we're going to move on from last from last week or yesterday to next week. Final game of the season. What's what's the trophy that they're battling? What's it called? I know it's the Lincoln hat, but what's what's the trophy called? Uh, I actually can't remember off the top of my head, but they're 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 battling. This is an important game, regardless of whether or not you're looking at how the season's gone so far. All right, so basically previewing Illinois is the final game of the year. Really, it's just a bragging rights game. Northwestern's already walked up the West. Illinois really just playing for next season. This is their last game. Uh, pretty much. They lost sixty-three to nothing at Iowa at home against Iowa. It's the Stovepipe Hat Trophy. It, thank you, thank you, Drew, for looking that up. Stovepipe Hat Trophy. That is the bragging rights for this game. That's what the purpose of this game is right now. Is this really a tune-up game for Northwestern? I think that everybody needs to play lights out football in this game because they're playing for a bigger matchup next week. If they win next week, they win the week after next. In the in the Big Ten championship game, they're possibly going they're going to the Rose Bowl if they win. So pretty much that's probably on their minds coming up. So they need to perform well defensively, offensively. No mistakes right now. I mean, like like Northwestern, the secondary's hurt, and they're still trying to do running back by committee. But they did beat Minnesota and the struggles for NU. What are you thinking in this game so far? Well, as you're looking. You know, forward to that game. Obviously, you were saying the Big Ten championships got to be in your mind. What's going to help Northwestern, though, from thinking too far ahead is the fact that you don't have any team right now in that Big Ten championship slot. So, you know, it's either going to be Michigan or Ohio State, and that's the last game of the season. So you can't really prep for that game. You know, sort of how when they were playing Notre Dame, it was like, you know, does this game really matter? And, like, are they going to focus on Notre Dame too much? Uh, or, or focus, you know, they're going to focus too much on Iowa in, the, you know, on the week of the Notre Dame game. But because there's no one to look forward to, I think you just focus on this game. It's a rivalry game against Illinois. And then I'd also, to add on to that, I would say this is really, if Northwestern wants to stay in the top 25, they have to beat Illinois. That's just a prerequisite for that at this point. Um, they're sitting right now at 22, and the AP just came out with their poll and put Northwestern at 20. The college football playoff rankings will be coming out uh, this Tuesday, the rankings that truly matter, um, that are chosen by committee. Uh, but we uh, nonetheless expect Northwestern to move up a few spots. If they beat Illinois, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the top 20 without a doubt. So just in terms of standing, and if they lose to Illinois, they'll be out of the top 25. And do you really want to be playing in the Big Ten Championship with no number next to your name? It's not really about the number. I mean, like I said, the only rank that only rankings that matter is the playoff. But I gave that clap in the background because they ranked in AP poll, ranked number twenty. They ranked number twenty-two in the college football playoff as of today. We'll wait to see what's going to happen on Tuesday. But mainly, it's like when I sat there and said they need to pre- prepare for the game. I know they they don't have an opponent yet, but it's just like you don't want to go into that game with the loss. You don't want to go in that game with a bad taste in your mouth to go in there and say, hey, we lost our in-state rivals. Now we got to play a Michigan or a Notre Dame. and I mean, Michigan or Ohio State, excuse me. Uh, basically, we did play Michigan this year. We had Michigan up 17 nothing. by the way, the first half before the defense let Shea Patterson and that Michigan offense just run wild and come back in the game. So I think that they, they had the confidence in Michigan. I think we can honestly take Notre Dame, I mean, Ohio State. 
Ohio State last week, yesterday, just struggled against Maryland, and they got blown away by Purdue. So basically, Ohio State is looking better as a matchup for Northwestern. But like you said, we got to focus on this game right here, and that's what that's what they need to, to, to get everything, get the game plan right, get the get the routes right, make sure everything's like solo, like everything's flying smoothly. I mean, so far, points per game, Notre. Uh, Northwestern's 23.6 per game, Illinois' 26.9 points per game, and Illinois has allowed 40 points per game, while Northwestern's given up only 22 points per game, and Illinois has given up 520 yards, total yards, especially pass through the air, 277, and on the ground, 243. So if Isaiah Bowser can have a good game rushing the ball, I think it's going to look good for Northwestern. I think Clayton Florson can move the ball around and get it to his wide receivers, get it to Flynn Nagel, get it to Cameron Green, and a bunch of other, bunch of other, the, all the other stars. I think that Northwestern, can, they, they, it's the home crowd too. We're here. It's our home crowd. It's senior day. We got – we, I think we're in good shape right here. I think that Illinois is not going to play spoiler for Northwestern leading into the Big Ten championship game. Um, you're just saying home, home, home team. Uh, yeah, we do have a home field advantage. Uh, it doesn't always show itself, and especially on off week when most of the campus is going to be away for that uh, Saturday night, Saturday matchup. Excuse me. Uh, I can't imagine there'll be that many students there. The student section will be bare bones. We'll be lucky to get a hundred students. I feel like, and also because Illinois is also located not too far from the Northwestern campus. I'm expecting that they will travel extremely well, and it even could feel like a home field advantage for Illinois. It might even feel like a home game for them. I've seen that a lot in our Northwestern games. I've seen a lot of red with Wisconsin and Nebraska, a lot of blue when Michigan came up in here. And I'm not, not sure what it looked like against Notre Dame, but it probably there was a lot of green up in here. So, I mean, they, yeah, that, that whole home field advantage thing in the crowd – uh, it's kind of tailoring towards the visiting team, but like I said, with the home field advantage, like we're here, this is the last game, and I think Northwest is going to show out for their seniors and just show out, just basically just show the college football nation that, hey, we're not a laughing stock. Hey, hold on. You got to show some respect too, and also pretty much especially show Michigan and Ohio State because definitely our game starts after them. It's a 2.30 start on the Big Ten Network for next week's game. So Michigan and Ohio State are playing at noon. So after that game, they'll be watching they'll be watching us to see who how how to prepare for us, get ready for us, and then pretty much we're on display after that. So without further ado, we're gonna go ahead and take a break real quick. But when we come back, Drew's gonna lead us in the college football talk because we're gonna talk about a lot of stuff to happen, especially up up in the Eastern Division with Ohio State and Michigan struggling. Notre Dame independence independent team crush, crushing their way all the way to the playoff and previewing Michigan, Ohio State, and the Iron Bowl. You're listening to the Sports Voice. We'll be right back. Let's tailgate. The official merchandiser of Northwestern Athletics supports this broadcast of WNUR Sports. Let's Tailgate is located one and a half blocks west of Ryan Field at 1807 Central Street. You can also find them during football games at Ryan Field and in the lobby of Welsh Ryan Arena during basketball games. 
Let's Tailgate carries Wildcats merchandise, as well as Chicago Cubs, Chicago White Sox, and Chicago Bears gear. You can contact Let's Tailgate at 847-570-0105, and they are also on the web at nusports.com. Let's Tailgate, the official merchandiser of Northwestern Athletics. Welcome back to Sports Boys. Uh, I am Drew Myers here with Eric Frazier. Um, we are uh, coming back to you to run down what went ha- what happened this week in college football. So we're going to start it off right now looking at the Big Ten East. This has the most replication uh, re- repercussions for uh, Northwestern in terms of who they are going to be playing in the Big Ten Championship on December 1st, Saturday at 8 p.m., uh, in Indianapolis. Um, so first, we're going to take a look at the Ohio State Buckeyes who are playing the Maryland Terrapins um, in Maryland. This was a very interesting game. It was 52-51 Ohio State over Maryland, and it went to overtime. Uh, I would say what was most concerning was the fact that Ohio State has now struggled against two unranked opponents. They lost to Purdue they have uh, barely beat Maryland, and now they're looking at they're about to be staring down Michigan, a very formidable team that is sitting right now with a college football playoff spot locked up. They're sitting in the fourth spot in the college football playoff rankings, and I can't imagine that they will be switching. What surprised you most, Eric, in this game? Uh, Ohio State clearly struggling throughout. It looked like, I don't know if, if you were watching the game at all, but Urban Meyer looked like he was about to have a stroke on the sidelines. Um, he was very disappointed in the way his team performed, and I'm sure he was uh, you know, thankful, uh, must have had the biggest sigh of relief when Ohio State won that game and basically secured them, made sure that they can at least go to the Big Ten Championship and keep their college football playoffs hope hopes alive a loss against Maryland would have been devastating and would have ruined uh their season and that would have been an abrupt end to what was going on there not to mention that Maryland could have won the game they lost on a two-point conversion tried to go for it all but what surprised you in this game most about Ohio State's performance let's talk about them Buckeyes shall we mm-hmm they they've been they've been playing with the fire all year long and they got burnt by the Boilermaker they ain't got blown out by the Boilermaker and they've struggled against Minnesota, and they struggled against Nebraska, but they came they came to it against Michigan State. I'll give them that. But this Maryland game, yeah, Maryland took it to them. That's what surprised me. It was just, The surprising thing was Maryland not going for that extra point to tie the game, to get the guaranteed tie, and trying again with the defense to take the victory out. I mean, that's the thing that really surprised me. I'm waiting for Ohio State to lose. I want Ohio State to lose. I, been, I lived in Ohio. I, the, the fans for, – the fans – and their love for that team is nauseating. It's 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 unbearable, but it's just it, it, it's more surprising because it's like Ohio State did find a way to win that game, and if Maryland doesn't complete that two point conversion, it, it, it's all it's all over for them. And basically, yeah, it, it was it was really 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 bad. But moving, f- yeah, basically, Ohio State, yeah, Ohio State couldn't really do much with it. 
Well, I mean, what what's concerning for Ohio State is not the fact that they're you know you know keeping these games uh, so close. I mean, obviously that, that I mean that's the big problem. That they're keeping the game so close, but what the problem I think really is for Ohio State, as you look down, is like they're giving these teams too many chances, you know, to go up against them. And so you know they had three turn- turnovers against Maryland. You're just giving them the ball. I mean, you look at how many first downs Ohio State got. They got 36 to Maryland's 18 first downs. So it's not like Maryland is torching, you know, completely torching the Ohio State uh, uh, defense, which was happening to some extent. But, you know, Ohio State also had uh, 10 penalties for 79 yards, giving just the team, you know, Maryland more chances or making very silly mistakes. They had two fumbles and one interception, and you're just handing over the ball, not to mention that Ohio State's running game went nowhere. Uh, uh, well, no, the, excuse me, their rushing was 283, and their passing was 405. So the offense was there. They're just giving the ball to Maryland and just giving them too many chances. The same thing happened against Nebraska, and the same thing happened with Purdue, and the same thing could happen against a Michigan team because now you're playing someone who's a lot better, but perhaps Ohio State plays up to the competition instead of playing down, and maybe they turn it around. Um, but let's swing it over right now to the Michigan game. They played Indiana. Eric, what do you have to think about this game between the Michigan uh, Wolverines and Indiana? Uh, before we go on to the Michigan and Indiana game, I just wanted to bring up, basically, Maryland was up 31-17 after a 37-yard pick return, interception return. So pretty much, yeah, that kind of – it wasn't neck and neck. Maryland had a lead, but then they just – that Ohio State kind of jumped back into it, but yeah, it's struggling. But let's let's switch over to uh, the other half of the big game for next week, and uh, Michigan and Illinois, and Michigan and Indiana, and basically, yeah, Michigan had a lot of struggle with that. Let me pull this back up real quick. There we go. Uh, uh, Shea Patterson, sixteen of twenty-eight, two hundred fifty yards. One touchdown, one interception, and basically Indiana was up 7-3 in the first quarter. They were neck and neck. They up 10-9. Yeah, I think that Michigan, I think it must have been a lot with the weather. I, I have to say the weather kind of had to deal with this because normally Michigan would light up. They didn't play. It's either the weather it was getting cold or Michigan then think that Indiana was the same caliber as Penn State because Michigan played a complete game against Wisconsin. They played a p- complete game against Penn State. They've they they they've played lights out ball throughout this year. They've blown yeah they twenty one seven over Michigan State. They blown out Rutgers and Penn State, and they blew out Wisconsin. But then they struggled against Indiana. So I think that is no no reason to panic in that. But Michigan, yeah, they 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 can't come with that same performance next week against Ohio State. Ohio State's reeling right now, and Michigan's in prime position to basically take this team out. They like all they gotta do is play the way they played against Penn State and Michigan State and Rutgers, and pretty basically it will be a rematch for the Big Ten champ. It would be be a rematch of early this season for the Big Ten championship game between Michigan and Northwestern if, if Michigan could pull this game out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say Michigan obviously struggled at the beginning of the game. Uh, you know, it was seven, uh, seven to three after the first quarter, and it was then seven, uh, seventeen fifteen Indiana over Michigan in the after the first half. But Michigan turned it around. I felt like they had played a much better second half. Obviously, you know, they came away at the win, um, and they were looking much better. And and uh, just again, Shea Patterson is a monster. He is a force to be reckoned with. He uh, his 
I would say the run pass option works so well for him, and they've been deceiving defenses this entire season with that. Shea Patterson again had a big rushing game. Uh, he took it took it for himself uh, for 68 yards, and he had a 19-yard run was his longest of the day, averaging seven yards per carry. Not to mention he was thrown uh, through 200 for 250 yards. Um, 16 uh, for 28, uh, one touchdown, one interception, and was averaging around nine yards per pass attempt. So he is, you know, the, the Ohio State's got to watch out for him as, you know, they're looking eh, ahead to next week. And, I mean, what a huge game, not only for the, obviously, the, the Big Ten uh, championship, you know, you know what's going to happen there and the consequences of that matchup just in terms of the Big Ten championship, but also looking ahead for the college football playoffs because this is – I would say either Michigan or Ohio State is the only chance the Big Ten has of get, sending a team to the Big Dance, to the college football playoffs, because there's no one else there. Unfortunately, Northwestern, which is going to the Big Ten championship, probably does not have the record, nor the <laughs> any games to really you know stack up that would make them a contender for the college football playoffs at this point. However, is it possible that... Um, you know, obviously, if Michigan loses, there'll be a two-loss team, and it'll be almost impossible for them to make the college football playoff. And if Ohio State does beat Michigan and ends up losing in the Big Ten championship game, then obviously they will not be able to make the college football playoffs with two losses to their name. So obviously, this the next, the game against Michigan and Ohio State will be one of the best games of the season, without a doubt, just in terms of what is on the line for both Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, I'm at the bat track. I'm at the when you said that there's two teams battling for the Big Ten for the playoff, I'm going to have to uh, disagree with you and say Michigan is the only hope for the Big Ten in the championship game, and that is because I am looking at the rankings, and if, if Ohio State were to take out Michigan, which I doubt is going to happen because Ohio State's been playing horrible this year, and they got themselves handed to them by Purdue, which we beat Purdue at the beginning of the year, they still have to go over yeah, West Virginia. They still have to go over West Virginia, which did lose. Washington State, LSU, Oklahoma, and Georgia to even get even get into the the crack of four. Those are the guys are right above them. And right now, Oklahoma's playing good football. Big the eight SEC championship game might do some favors, but it might not because it's Georgia, Alabama for that. And if Alabama loses that game, they're still in the playoff. No, Saban and paid them off, it's, and, and it's, it's Alabama. They they're gonna be in. Their resume is spot on. They're 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 shooing. Clemson is playing lights out football. I mean, they struggled against they struggled early against Duke, but then they came out and won their game. And Notre Dame literally has to just beat USC, and they've punched their ticket into the playoff. So basically, yeah, if 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 Michigan were to lose next week against Ohio State, the Big Ten's out. They're, they're, they're out of the dance, and thank Notre Dame for that, for being out of the dance. I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit. I think Ohio State still has a chance to make it to the college football playoffs. Okay, because look at look at who some of these teams are playing. So you have Alabama playing Georgia to close out their season. So if if Georgia loses, you know, goodbye top ten. If Obviously, Michigan will be out if that happens. You have, Oak, you have Washington State playing Washington. Uh, next week, which is a huge game. So, again, that's another opportunity for Washington State to get bumped out. And then you look at Oklahoma, they also have a tough game. They're playing West Virginia. So, uh, I mean, that would be the decision between West Virginia or Oklahoma at that point, should they both, uh, should West Virginia win, you're deciding between Ohio State and them. And then, obviously, even two-loss LSU team and Ohio State could end up winning um, 
the Big Ten Championship as well, especially, uh, you know, I can imagine them beating Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. So they'll only be one loss. They'll have won a conference championship game. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't have a serious chance of making the college football playoff um, at all. Not to mention if uh, Oklahoma were to lose to West Virginia, um, also Oklahoma and West Virginia would most likely, likely be playing for each other in the Big 12 championship game, depending on how that goes. And I think what's really interesting also is, you know, even if Alabama and Georgia, you know, both finish the season so-so, they could have be having a rematch in the SEC championship game. So they'll be playing each other twice in the span of like, you know, two two weeks, which I think is also just incredible at this point, um, you know, how that's going to work out um, as well. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but Actually, sorry, excuse me. They're, they're only playing each other for the SEC championship game. Yeah, I was getting my schedules confused. Regardless, though, Ohio State, I think, has a serious chance to make the college football playoff. That is my remark there. I'm going to have to disagree with you at that point. We we will see. Uh, let's talk about a team that actually has a shoot-in to the playoff, and that is the 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 South Bend, South Bend Bronx Bombers. I'm at the. I tried. I, I'm trying to come up with a creative way to play off them uniforms they wore yesterday because there's a lot of people that disagree with the Notre Dame uniform yesterday because that's like the New York Yankees coming to South Bend, Indiana, and thinking they're going to put on some gold batting helmets and wear some gold Irish. That ain't going to happen. For for Notre Dame to sit there and, and, and take their reputation and then turn around and throw on the uniforms, I think they look pretty good. I, I like I kind of like them. Unique, different style, but a lot of people weren't fans of it. But, yeah, it doesn't matter about the uniform. It matters about the play on the field, and they sure did play well on the field yesterday, handing a 36-3 thumping of Syracuse, and the three was a mercy points at the end because I think it was just garbage time and Syracuse just pretty much got in field goal range and had to do something to just get the donut off the scoreboard. I mean, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how Notre Dame – Notre Dame looks like a complete team. Ian Book, Brandon Woodbush, whoever you put in there at quarterback, they're going to do some damage. They, they, they're, they're causing turnovers. They're moving the ball down the field. I mean, 463 yards of total offense. I mean, Dexter Williams running the ball. I mean, he catching passes out the backfield. I mean – they're they're shooing. All they have to do is beat USC, and they're in. I mean, that's it. Like, there's no there, there's no conference championship for an independent team. And Notre Dame has played this so well in this year. I mean, they scheduled Michigan. They scheduled a bunch of other teams. They 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 did they did handle Northwestern. So I think that right now they're looking real good. Right now, their team not only just in their situation, but just as a team as a whole, they're looking really good in getting that getting that third seed, possibly the second seed in the playoff. So we, we, we will see what that what do you what did you think about that Notre Dame game? What do you think about their final push towards the end of the season? Well, I'm not surprised that Notre Dame has like a serious chance. It, it just talking about Notre Dame made me think of UCF, you know, who's also sitting in a you know undefeated. They're the only two undefeated teams left right now sitting in the top twenty five. Uh, other than Alabama, of course, uh, um, you know, no shocker there, as always. But um, you're looking at the real difference, of course, between Notre Dame and, and UCF is their schedule. And you look at Notre Dame's schedule, they played, you know, Stanford, they've played Virginia Tech, they've played Michigan to start the season. And, the, you know, Syracuse was ranked 12th in the nation for some reason uh, in the AP. They, they dropped significantly um, down. What, what do you have to say about Syracuse? I, would, I wouldn't say they're a joke, so I'm not, I'm not going to write them off as a joke. 
they they are ranked. They're eight and three. Have a good record. Uh, I, I I'm not gonna write them off as a joke. I'm not gonna sit there and do that. Yeah, they they went neck and neck with Clemson. I think that 27 to 23 loss to Clemson had a chance of them going up in the ranks, and they also took down a really good NC State team and basically Louisville. They took them out. Wake Forest was pretty good. Uh, that was pretty much their notable wins. I think that Clemson that Clemson loss really put them on the map. But then uh, Notre Dame didn't really turn out the lights on that party. The clock struck midnight. Any other cliches you want to use to just, just basically just to just say, uh, welcome back to Earth, guys. This is yeah, y'all y'all good, but y'all ain't that good yet. But I think that yeah, but so far yeah, they're not they're not really a joke. Three losses on the year, tough loss against Clemson, and they got handed by Notre Dame. So, yeah, I can see the 12 ranking there, but they definitely need to drop on that one. Well, it was such a such a poor game by Syracuse, obviously only scoring three points. But you look at DeVito, the quarterback for Syracuse, went 14 for 31, only 105, 105 passing yards, two interceptions to Ian Book's 292 passing yards, two touchdowns and one interception. Ian Book obviously been a great addition to Notre Dame this season coming in after uh, the injury. Uh, to the uh, quarterback for Notre Dame earlier. And then you also have the rushing game, 13 uh, Williams for 13 carries, 74 yards, who, you know, had a uh, so-so game against uh, Northwestern for that matter. But, you know, Ian Book's been just, you know, spot on having one of the best passing completion percentages in the country and, you know, no different again in this game. So uh, I'm not surprised to see Notre Dame. I think it always is interesting, though, the fact that Notre Dame is going to be able to sit this high and without the conference championship game, you know, still make the college football playoffs. Whereas a lot of teams, it's, it's sort of like, you know, a pro and a con. Because so the, the good thing about having, about, about them not being in a conference is they don't have to worry about a conference championship game ruining their college football playoff hopes. You know, Alabama would be probably okay if they lost to Georgia, perhaps. But, you know, if Georgia loses in the big in the SEC championship game, they're not making it. If Michigan loses in the Big Ten, they're not making it. So no, that's the good thing about Notre Dame. They can sit at you know twelve and zero and don't have to. You know they're playing USC. I'm assuming they're going to win that game. They can sit at twelve and zero and be okay and and still make the college football playoffs. Whereas if, uh, however, the bad side is if they're sitting at you know they're sitting at eleven and one and they have one loss and they don't have a conference championship game to make up for that loss. If it was a bad loss, for example, let's say it was Northwestern's loss to Akron, you know, they don't have a conference championship to be like, that was just a fluke. That would that would that would keep a stain on their on their uh record. So it's it's good and bad, I feel like, for Notre Dame. But I feel like they should still, you know, move themselves to a conference. I feel like just to level out the playing field and with the way the college football playoff has been working so far and how important the committee considers those champion those conference championship games when making decisions when it comes down to decision time, I feel like, you know, it gives North Notre Dame sometimes an unfair advantage in this case when they're sitting undefeated. Whereas, you know, if they weren't, but I mean we can have this debate over and over again. And of course, you know, UCF again, you know, having another win, the AP put them at eight. Uh, just you know, it makes you think about how the college football playoff process works. And, you know, every year when we get to the end of the season, we're always questioning what's going on. Does it need to be expanded? Does it not to be need to be expanded? I mean, going through Notre Dame's schedule right now, I mean, they struggled against Michigan 24-17. They struggled against Ball State 24-16. They struggled against Vanderbilt 22-17 before coming alive against Wake Forest, Stanford, Virginia Tech. They struggled. They struggled against Pitt, but then they dominated Navy. 
beat Northwestern and basically Florida State and Syracuse got back on their winning ways. So I mean, they haven't really blown out teams, but they've 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 shown their poise and shown their might. And basically, yeah, they're they're in the ACC. Notre Dame's in the ACC for every sport except for except for football. So I think that. They could go cross over to the ACC, but right now the ACC is full with 14 teams. I don't know if they want a 15 team or if they, if they in order to, to make it even, add another team, make it 16 teams. I think there's overkill. There, there is room in the Big 12. In the Big 12, they only have 10 teams. I mean that that's a Power Five conference right there. I mean that could that could level up the playing field. They get they get Notre Dame to get another team. They can make the Big 12 a little bit more heavier or whatnot and just yeah make it make it more make it more interesting like it used to be so i think that's good but i think right now we got to take it to break yeah we're gonna take it to break and when we come back from the break it'll be a pick um we will be doing pick em. we'll be choosing uh for example what is the greatest battle ever between number one and number two in sports we'll be answering other great questions like what is the worst player coach fight Ever when we come back from the break, you'll get answers to those very interesting questions. Uh, we'll see you uh, back in a second. Thank you. As a nonprofit radio station, WNUR has maintained its status as the largest student run radio station in the country. But without corporate donors, WNUR Sports could not offer award winning coverage of Northwestern athletics. Equipment, travel, and other costs are paid for by our underwriters, who in exchange receive exposure on a 7,200 watt station that can be heard throughout Chicago and online throughout the country. If you are interested in underwriting, send an email to WNURsports at gmail.com. It's affordable, tax-deductible, and helps Northwestern students bring you broadcasts like this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. It's time for Pick'em. Let's get ready to rumble! Question number one. In the chess world, world's number one Magnus Carlsen and number two Fabiano Caruana are locked into a heated battle with the first six matches all going down to the draw and today in match seven another draw tied three and a half to three and a half in this best of 12 series we wanted to know what is the greatest ever battle between one number one and number two Eric you go first birthday January 4th so if y'all want to give me a birthday gift y'all know the date y'all know the time anyways Pasadena Rose Bowl National Championship game Texas USC one versus two Matt Liner Reggie Bush versus Vince Young and the Texas Texas Longhorns USC had been dominated for many years before Texas was coming up Vince Young everybody was like sick and tired of USC I was sick and tired of USC so I think that that last play when Vince Young scored in and won that game Texas over USC, that is the greatest one and two matchup ever. I'm going to have to go to the great sport of tennis, 
I'm not going to choose any specific match, but any match between Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, the number two and number one in tennis. Those have been some of one of the greatest matchups ever. You could also go with Djokovic versus Federer when they were both sitting at one and two apiece as well. They've had great, great matches each time they have come together to play, and they are must-watches if you are a tennis fan of any age. I've been to the US Open now a few times, have had the pleasure of watching each of them play. It is a spectacle to behold. Question number two. Alabama and the Citadel faced off this weekend in Alabama's annual Cupcake Week. This being perhaps the best Alabama team in years and the Citadel being below 500 in the Southern Conference. This game was all but over before it even began. So, what is the biggest mismatch in sports since 2000? Drew, you go first. Okay, this might be a little controversial, but I'm going with Floyd Money Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. Um, this was a this was a serious mismatch mismatch that the I don't think the Las Vegas that the Las Vegas bookies kind of got. But I mean, Conor McGregor was walking to a match, uh, a boxing match. He should not have been in in the first place. He knew what was coming for him. He's a great trash talker, but he got absolutely walloped in the ring. Um, all he had to do, all Mayweather had to do, was get him in a few rounds because McGregor is not used to fighting. I think it was beyond like 17 minutes. Easy mismatch um, between McGregor and Mayweather. I'm at to take it to the great year of 2006, and I pulled this one up. Division Three Lincoln, 201 versus Ohio State Marion, 78 in basketball. Why that's so crazy? The Ohio State Marion sued up six players in the tournament, five freshmen, and a 44-year-old athletic director and coach, Mark Sizzler, who had remaining eligibility to take part in the tournament in, Sur in Salem on short notice. Ohio State Marion doesn't even have a team. 123-point margin by Division Three Lincoln is the largest NCAA history. That is the greatest mismatch ever. Question number three. Despite the loss, it was another fantastic day for Purdue's Rondale Moore yesterday. Moore had 114 yards and two touchdowns and another highlight reel spin move. Who is the best freshman phenom in college football history? Eric, you go first. I'm going to have to tag it back to 1980, Herschel Walker. There's many guys on the list, but I'm going to have to say Herschel Walker. Stats impressive, 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, and four 200-yard games. He set off for Georgia, and why I picked him is for what he did in the NFL. Basically, he literally traded he, – he was part of the great trade robbery that allowed the Cowboys to become the Super Bowl. They traded him to the Minnesota Vikings, and the Cowboys got picks instead, and they became the dynasty and the team of the 90s because of Herschel Walker, and that started back in 1980 when he was with the Georgia Bulldogs. So I'm going to tell you – Worcester Walker, freshman female. I'm going to have to go with Adrian Peterson back in 2004. Uh, he was a freshman at Oklahoma. He had nine consecutive 100-yard games, 11 overall, including 172 yards and three touchdowns in the Big 12 title game against uh, Colorado that year. He carried it 339 times that season, uh, which remains the FBS freshman record. Um, his, um, so I think that's an easy one. Adrian Peterson has also been, you know, had an unbelievable career in the NFL, so able to transfer over what he did in college football to the NFL. Question number four. Ed Oliver and Major Applewhite earlier this weekend got into a skirmish on the sidelines that had to do with a jacket Ed Oliver was wearing. Coach Applewhite tried to take it off of him by force. Certainly a strange altercation there. 
So he wanted to know, what is the worst player-coach fight ever? Drew, you go first. I don't know if you've seen this one on television. I have to go with offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien and quarterback Tom Brady of the Patriots. They had a skirmish on the sidelines after Tom Brady threw a pick in the end zone against the Washington Redskins. Bill O'Brien tried to come over to Tom and uh, give him a little chat, um, but it didn't go over so well with the greatest of all time, uh, Tom Brady, who continued to fight with Bill O'Brien. In fact, Bill O'Brien had to be held back by the backup quarterback, and then uh, Bill Belichick had to come in between them to settle the dispute to make sure that... Uh, they would stop fighting on the sidelines. I'm going to have to take this one to the NBA. Most people know Latrell Spiegel as a great NBA player. but He was a great NBA player. But when everybody mentions Latrell Spiegel, they got to mention P.J. Carlissimo. And why they got to mention the two? Because Latrell Spiegel choked P.J. Carlissimo. So whenever you bring up whenever you bring up Latrell Spiegel, say, man, even Central Entertainer in his, his interview routine says, man, he's like Latrell Spiegel. My, my comedy choked stuff out of you. Man, come on. You got to go with that. Latrell Speedwell, P.J. Clarissimo, choke the coach out. That's what he's known for. Question number five. This, it arrived earlier today that Condoleezza Rice is potentially under consideration for the Browns' head coaching position. The former Secretary of State is famously a member of the College Football Playoff Committee, but hasn't officially worked in football. This would certainly be a surprising hiring for the Browns, but we wanted to know, what is the strangest coaching hire in sports history? Eric, you go first for this one. Man, I'm probably going to take the L on this question, but I don't care. I saw this question. I got to say this is big time. Manoes already know what I've been talking about all day, and that, my man, is John Gruden of my Oakland Raiders is the strangest hire ever. Ten years, $100 million, and you come out with one and eight. Two and eight now. They got the win today. Yes, they got the win today. But come on now. When he went into the interview, ain't nothing said about, about training Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, Bruce Irvin to other teams, and then also a rebuild. John Gruden, the weirdest and worst hire for the Oakland Raiders ever. Put him back in Monday Night Football. I don't know if I have that much anger towards this coaching decision. I actually looked this up. This is very interesting. Uh, it was this guy, Joe Quinn. He was the first Australian-born player to ever play professional baseball in the United States. And uh, his record as a manager was 12-104 and with the Cleveland Spiders back in 1899. Um, that is currently one of the worst baseball seasons ever in history. Um, and he, that was it. He was 23-132 and in his time as a manager in the Major League Baseball. At the buzzer, this one is over. Wow. Great pick em. <laughs> Always. Always a great time. Always. Um, it's 8.51. We've got about nine minutes. Uh, so let's get Plenty to of it. time, yeah. Number one. Noah, take it away. Two good answers here. I'd say uh, arguably the two best answers that could have been given for this first question. We wanted to know the greatest ever battle between number one and number two. Eric, got the benefit of going first here. I think whenever you hear number one and number two, Ari, one thing pops into people's heads, at least people of our generation, and that's the Vince Young Rose Bowl. That's the way I think of it anyway, is that fourth and five run by Vince Young uh, to beat USC, one of the greatest college football games ever played, um, and two of the best teams in college football history. So certainly a clash of the Titans there. And uh, Drew, with a solid answer as well, I think suffers from a lack of specificity a bit, but any Nadal Federer matchup, this is the second straight week that Sports Voice has mentioned Nadal Federer, so I love that. Certainly one of the greatest number one, number two rivalries of all time. They've been, I believe, one of them has been number one and the other one has been number two simultaneously for like 
a total of 10 years or something at this point, which is crazy. But I'm definitely leaning towards the, the Rose Bowl answer here, Ari, because that's a specific matchup. It's also just so iconically number one versus number two. That's just what I'm thinking. What about you? Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, that Rose it's just it's the easy answer. But, but it's the right I answer. Think, yeah, I think you I agree. Can't, it you is can't, the right You can't answer. blame him for taking the easy answer because it's the correct one. Um, I mean, there, there's some incredible Nadal-Federer matches as recently as very recent. Yeah, but, but I, still. I think at the end, the Rose Bowl, that one versus two, anytime you think about one and two and the way that it ended, I think that's where you have to go. Although, watch out for this chess match. That could be the future pick answer. Yeah, true. Um, so this first point goes to Eric. Uh, for the second point, I think we have to ask for some clarification here, Ari. Um, we're going to send it back into, into Eric here in a second. Uh, Eric, we just wanted, we didn't understand who the two teams that you were talking about were for question two. Okay. Yeah. I was rushing into that. So basically it's a division three Lincoln and it is a matchup between Ohio state Marion and the final score of the game was 201 and 201 to 78. And basically it says it's the, uh, yeah, the scoreboard read zero one zero one to 78 and it basically couldn't handle 200 points and it was 123 point margin by division three lincoln's largest ncaa history and then the fact that ohio state marion yeah five freshmen and a 44 year old yeah yeah i got you that's a mistake. yeah, yeah i hear you yeah we, we found um from 2006 um so i mean just to be clear the reason that i specified after 2000 is because if you go back to like 1850, you if can you go find back to those, those Cleveland Spiders, between, those Cleveland Spiders yeah. that were referenced so in an I mean, answer, I think we I think it was we wanted to make it a legitimate, and I think both of these are very good answers, somewhat of a different path, but I definitely like the Mayweather McGregor answer. Yeah, not what you would think about for a worse match. Definitely mismatch. Like, looks like a mismatch. What was the line? Was there odds set on? I that? think Mayweather was a minus at least. 500, but the only reason he was so low Just was because pe because him. dumb people betted McGregor yeah. a lot. But because dumb people kept betting McGregor because they didn't understand. Where it, was gonna go. it looked close. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not saying it was close, though, Ari. I'm it not. Wasn't. It wasn't close. It wasn't close. And I know that. But at the same time, Mayweather didn't knock him out. You know, if this was Mayweather in his prime against McGregor, hold on, hold on, hold on. If this was Mayweather in his prime against McGregor, I think it's a better argument. But the fact is, Mayweather knew that McGregor could have knocked him out. He said as much after the fight. That's why he didn't even go for the knockout too much, because it's a 40-year-old Floyd Mayweather. That's why I just don't think it's quite as much of a mismatch as some people have said. Okay. Yeah, but I'm so, trying to think of the proper right. metaphor, and it... He's to see oh. Okay, yeah, well, a, let me just quickly say about the about the McGregor. Okay, first of all, he was, thankfully, his life wasn't ended. It was a technical knockout because he had to, you know, he had to pat whatever. I, I'm not probably not mentioning the right term. McGregor literally was stumbling across. He was like, you shouldn't have called. You shouldn't have called it. He got his life saved. One more punch would have been down on the ground. He was totally woozy. It was a, it was a, it was a TK. It was a knockout. Like basically it knocked him out. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson did that to people in the first round, like 15 different times in his career. And you didn't mention any proper. of those. So I don't I don't think that's a very good I mean, argument a, for no, you. No, no, no. Because, because, because just because just because McGregor almost got knocked out, uh, hundreds of but hundreds of boxers do get knocked out per year. So just because McGregor was woozy and on the ground doesn't mean that that was the biggest mismatch ever. When in boxing, hundreds of times per year, guys get knocked out in the first round. 
it wasn't a mismatch in the pocketbook. That that fight had nothing to do with actually skill or boxing. It was a one-sided match. His fight was, was on Floyd Mayweather's rules, his own territory, everything. Everything was all Floyd Mayweather. That was nothing but a paycheck fight. So that shouldn't even count. That was a paycheck fight. They got rich, they got their pockets filled, and they got everybody to buy that. And I know y'all bought that. All right, all right, let's take it. Let's bring it back. Sounds like Eric's arguing for Drew's answer. So I feel like we should. No, no, I'm no, not. I'm no, not you're not, no, do not. Do not rebut. Shouldn't even count because it's a pocketbook fight. Okay, I don't think that's a good argument. I'm just gonna say that. Our Ari, what do you think here? All right. Well, I mean, it definitely was an interesting answer, the Mayweather McGregor one, in terms of a mismatch. Like going in, if it was clear that there was no way for it to go any other way, I I can't tell whether the Marion versus Ohio State. Or the Lincoln University versus Ohio State Marion. It was a domination, but was it like a mismatch going in, or was it just well, two hundred one to seventy eight, two hundred one to seventy eight? No, Eric, you cannot, you cannot say anymore. You've said quite enough, my friend. You've gone way over your time. Two hundred one to seventy eight is certainly a mismatch. But was it Ari. clear that that was where it was of headed course. going in? It was one hundred twenty three points. One team only had one team had six players, and five of them were freshmen. Marion only had six players in uniform, and five of them were terrible. freshmen. Five, five of them five were freshmen. Now, I, I will say, I hear what you're saying, that that's not as classic of a mismatch as Mayweather-McGregor. I don't know. Well, right. How are you feeling We got We got to wrap this up. No, no, I'll defer to you on this question. Which way are you leaning? Um, uh, let's go with May, Mayweather-McGregor. We'll, we'll throw Drew a bone here. One-to-one. One. All right. All right. One-to-one. One. Question three. We asked for the best freshman phenom in college football history. I'd say a pair of... Good answers here. We had Eric going with Herschel Walker um, from Georgia, a national championship in his freshman year. And Drew went with Adrian Peterson, both running backs, both on very good teams as freshmen and both had great NFL careers. Noah, are you leaning any particular way? I'm just looking at the stats here. I think the stats are going to tell the tale here for me. Uh, Adrian Peterson had 1,925 rushing yards in his uh in his freshman year at Oklahoma, I remember him being a beast. That Oklahoma team, I don't think it was his freshman year, but his junior year, that team was the one that lost to Boise State in that crazy Fiesta Bowl game, Ari, the, the one with all the Boise State trick plays. But anyway, so so Peterson, 1,925 yards and 15 touchdowns. Herschel had 1,616 yards, also had 15 touchdowns. AP had 5.7 per carry, though, and Herschel had 5.9 per carry. So these are definitely very close. I think these guys are just so similar. All right, both these guys had great NFL careers. Both these guys were Heisman winners. I don't know how you can split them up here. For me, I'm kind of leaning towards a tie. There's literally nothing that really separates these guys. Well, I'm a little surprised at that yards per carry number. That They're both very good, but also not dominant in the way that— Well, when you have so many carries, so, you can so only have so many if yards If you want to have something to set it apart, Herschel Walker's Georgia team won the national championship over Notre Dame. Oklahoma, they were undefeated until they lost in the Orange Bowl against USC. I just don't think that's AP's fault, though. I don't. I don't think that's enough to make it the difference. Is what I'm saying. I just. I. I think this should be a tie. I don't. I'm not for ties as much. We can just discard the question. We can go to. We can. We can say this question is discarded. We can go to four questions. I'm trying to find the AP stats from this Rose Bowl and see if. Oh, from the bowl games. I like that because these are only. 
So it was 55 Because Herschel Walker's because Herschel Walker, only his regular season stats were counted. And Adrian Peterson went 25 for 82 in yeah. that one. And how many how, how what did Herschel Walker and go for? Because Herschel Walker's Herschel Walker's bowl game stats were not counted in his season stats because they didn't count start counting bowl stats until 2000. I don't think there are stats for this bowl, but Herschel Walker was the uh, MVP. Okay, there got to be stats somewhere. They don't just not have the stats. What what's the bowl game name? Uh, it's the 1981 Sugar Bowl. Okay, he was the MVP. He must have played well. Um, let's just see if we can find it here. Um, okay. We have AllStateSugarBowl.org. Uh, hurt. Wow, Georgia's quarterback was 0 for 11. That's not, not good. That's that's really bad. Okay, Herschel Walker went 36 rushes, 150 yards, and two touchdowns yeah. in a win. Yeah, uh, that's definitely, considering his quarterback did not complete a pass, that's, that's definitely a bold performance at AP. You know what, Ari, this is a good measure. I think this one puts it over the top. Herschel Walker's season was better. All right, Herschel Walker, Eric leading 2-1. to one. Question four, we asked about player coaching fights. Uh, what do we go with? This is the most lopsided question we've had all year in terms of the answers here. This one, I think, Ari, we're both in agreement, is not close. Tom Brady has had a bunch of fights with coordinators over his career, and sure, he got a little bit angry with Bill O'Brien. He yelled at him a couple of times. Latrell Spirol, he choked his coach, Ari. He was just choking that man. He choked him for like 15 seconds before they got in the way. I mean, one of, the, one of these altercations is physical, and the other one is a, a dorky, slow white guy yelling at another dorky, slow white guy. This is not close to me. I'm totally with you. Um, it's 9:01. Let's start to wrap this up. So, Eric gets this win. This is point three. He comes away with the win. Let's quickly go ahead. Uh, go through question five. We asked the strangest coaching hire. Uh, Eric went with John Gruden, and Drew went with Joe Quinn of the Cleveland Spiders, who went a had a career record 12 of, of 12 and 104, 18, He was also the close, but he was a manager. It's actually. Surprisingly Player similar. manager, right? He was a manager a few years before of the St. Louis Browns and went 11-28 and 28 in 1895. Baseball was weird back then. Um, but I think that's part of it. Like, the Cleveland Spiders, I feel like, would have been bad regardless. But to hire someone out of the broadcast booth who was a Corona spokesperson who hadn't coached and, and not and only that, a 10-year deal. Exactly. A 10-year deal, the richest coaching deal in football history. I don't think um, Joe Quinn got a 10-year deal. Joe Quinn did, definitely did not get $100 million. I can tell you that. I know that Joe Quinn probably didn't even get hundred thousand dollars. I don't even think he got a thousand dollars. I'm not sure he got paid. Uh, he might. They might. He might have done it for free. Let's be honest. Is, does, is it even a hire if he did it for free? Yeah. To me, you know, the, the question here is, what is the strangest coaching hire? And the Cleveland Spiders couldn't have really made a strange coaching hire because they were god awful. Like any coaching hire they made, unless they hired like I don't know, I don't know, a woman Connie or something, Mack. but. I guess that would have been strange. But, like, back then, obviously, it would have been strange if they had hired a woman because... Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, obviously, gender equality wasn't very big back then. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is just another guy who sucked. That's not strange. The Spiders were bad. Whereas John Gruden, I mean, you hire a coach for 10 years, $100 million, and he immediately guts your entire team. That's the story for the ages here. All right, so that will wrap things up. Uh, Eric gets the win, 4-1. to one. Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Unfortunately, that means we have to hit you with these sounds. You're a loser. You're despicable. Well, hello, loser. Turbo, turbo, turbo. Crazy knucklehead of turbo. Just go home and cry to your daddy. Don't cry here, okay? Why don't you go back outside and talk to trees or whatever it is you do? And Eric 
As part of your win, you get 30 seconds of FaceTime or radio time starting right now. Questions. I had a lot of issues, issues, but basically, that last question was pretty much a funny answer. I'm glad it got the win. I'm glad it convinced you, Noah. But yeah, that's terrible. Ten years, a hundred million dollars, and you straight sent Bruce Irvin, Khalil Mack, and and Amari Cooper away, and you got the team. And Michael Crabtree goes to the Ravens. Yeah, that's terrible. Gruden, you are terrible. You're a terrible person. You ruined my team. And the only time, and I got a series on Facebook about you. Darn, darn it, Gruden. So there you go. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, uh, Drew Myers and Eric Frazier, along with Noah Kaufman of R11. We will have a show next week. We'll see if we can find hosts. Might just be Noah and I here in the studio. Either way, you won't want to miss it. Thanks so much for joining us. And that'll do it here on Sports Voice. The producers of the Sports Voice are Henry Ettinger and Zach Coons. WNUR sports directors are Sam Brief and Will Greer. Thanks for listening, have a good night, and as always, go Cats.